Lee Arnold welcoming you to our Country Music Conversations podcast. Today we'll be departing from our regular format with something new. We're calling it Trilogy. For the next three weeks, we'll be featuring conversations with Waylon Jennings. Each week for the next three weeks, you'll be listening to interviews from Waylon from 1983, 1984, and 1987. What you hear will be compelling, honest, blunt, friendly, and even raw. There never has been a more revered and respected superstar. Through the years, I've been blessed to be with him, enjoy his artistry on stage and off, but most of all, to become his friend. But before we start this conversation, here are a few words from our sponsor. Country Music Conversations with Lee Arnold's podcast is made possible by our sponsor, MarketSmith, Inc., the digital media agency that's been growing brands like Toomey, Shark Ninja, New Jersey Lottery, PSE&G, Blue Mercury Cosmetics, and Dick Sporting Goods. You know what makes this agency so good at what they do? Because simply being a marketing agency is no longer enough. Solution-based, problem-solving, and ever-evolving, they create enduring value for DTC and B2B brands by opening up and growing marketing channels. Their patented AI offerings, informed by human intelligence, allow them to act with agility and intellect. I was speaking with the CEO not too long ago, and she was saying they take on clients who know who they are, who want to grow, and clients that know what they want. These big brands choose MarketSmith because they want to merge with a partner who'll make them exceptional and an agency that will grow their revenue. Digital marketing is not easy, but MarketSmith Inc. knows when to make the media dollars work hard for their clients. You have a brand you want to grow? Well, contact MarketSmith.com and tell them Lee Arnold sent you. Like many of our country heroes, Waylon is a Texan, born and raised in Littlefield, Texas. Waylon began performing when he was a teenager and he formed his first band. They were called the Texas Longhorns. He dropped out of high school when he was 16, then worked as a DJ at several radio stations in Texas. Buddy Holly gave him his first big break when he hired him to play bass in his band, The Crickets. Waylon, as you know, gave up his seat to J.B. the Big Bopper Richardson on that ill-fated flight in 1959 that crashed and killed Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, and Richie Valens. Waylon then went on to have a rockabilly club band. He called them the Whalers, and they became the house band at one of the most famous clubs in Arizona, in Phoenix, a place called J.D.'s. Bobby Bear met Waylon there and was so impressed with his talent that he went back to Nashville and told Chet Atkins about him. Chet signed Waylon to RCA, and racked up several hits in critically acclaimed albums, the most noteworthy being Wanted the Outlaws. That was the beginning of the outlaw movement, which on this platinum album included not only Waylon, but Willie Nelson, Tom Paul Glazer, and Waylon's wife, Jesse Coulter. His next album, Old Waylon, 
had the hit song, Luchenbach, Texas. Waylon's career had him in demand for films, and he also starred as the balladeer in the TV series The Dukes of Hazard, where he composed and sang the show's theme song and provided narration for the show. As with many country stars, he struggled with a cocaine addiction, which he finally overcame in 1984. He later became part of the Highwaymen, with his buddies Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, and Chris Christofferson. By 1997, Waylon was touring less and spending more time with his family. Between 1999 and 2001, his appearances were limited due to his health problems, and in 2001, he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, and in 2007, posthumously awarded the Cliffy Stone Pioneer Award by the Academy of Country Music. The conversation we'll be listening to took place in 1983, when Waylon was in Atlanta, Georgia. One of the most acclaimed performers of all time in the history of country music is the man we are sitting across from right now after a, a long, hard tour, and he's still on it, and there's still one more to go before a little bit of rest here in Atlanta, Georgia. None other than Waylon Jennings. Waylon, good to see an old friend again. How you doing, Lee? Where you been, man? I mean, you ain't seen each other since the Taft Hotel, I don't think, in New York. That's right. 1967 it was. Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think we've done a, uh, an interview. So we see each other pass and say hi. We did one since then. I think it was down at one of Willie's picnics down in Bryan, Texas. That's right. You got an incredible memory. I, I don't forget nothing. I remember everything. <laughs> Sometimes that can be a disadvantage. That's right. I may not do it too good when I do it, but I remember it. <laughs> That's great. And I'm the only one a lot of times, too. <laughs> you know, there's a new album out, which is really, uh, receiving quite a bit of acclaim around the country, and it's called It's Only Rock and Roll. And one of the singles from it is your latest single called Breaking Down. Uh, what does that song mean to you? How'd you get to do it? I'll tell you where I got the song. There's a guy that, uh, he works and plays piano for Glenn Campbell, and uh, his name's Steve Harden. Now, Steve, you know, we, um, I really respect what he does in his writing and everything, and uh, he kind of likes me, you know, like he, I, uh, he uh, wrote a couple of songs of, you know, were just really tailored for me, you know, and uh, that was one of them. Anyway, uh, I sat down and talked to him right before I recorded, and he said, you know, you're the only guy I've seen in a long time that's anything like me. And I said, Hoss, I ain't heard it that way in a long time. <laughs> but anyway, Steve's a good writer, and he wrote that, and uh, Glenn's the one first uh, brought him to my attention. He's going to be a great writer. Did it feel good recording it when you were in the studio? Were you as excited about it when you actually cut it? I'll tell you how excited it was. That's the, first, that's the second take, and we haven't changed anything. That's incredible. Vocal and everything, you know? And that doesn't happen very often. That's very true. I mean, to get it on the second take like that, it's got to be just magic. That's with the band and everything. You know, a lot of times I get, like I'll, when I do the vocals, I'll get it on the first or second take. But with the band and everything, like we used to do it years ago on the four tracks, uh, it don't happen that way very much anymore. And the recent single before that, which meant with a lot of great popularity, was your favorite called Lucille, which uh, really is a throwback to the old rock and roll days of Little Richard. Yeah, you know a lot of people. There was a the rock and roll disc jockey that was down in Nashville, and I played him that when after we recorded it, and he didn't recognize it. And I said, "Man, man, if I ever see Richard, I'm gonna tell him about you." But anyway, you know, like the Everly Brothers did it too. And I've been, you know what? I've had that idea and that arrangement for about ten years. I've been wanting to do it and just never got around to it. And uh, so one night I was in there with the band. I said, "Let's try this out." And uh, so we tried it, and it, it came off pretty good. So we used it. You know, like. 
I got another song or two. I'm going to do that way, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Lordy Miss Cloudy. Oh, that's an incredible favorite. That's a good song. Yeah. You, know, you know, there's a lot of good songs because, you know, rock and roll, rock and roll, rhythm and blues songs and country music. The black man's blues is just a beat apart. It's the same man singing the same song about the same ups and downs, the woman he wants and the woman he can't keep. Really second cousins to country music tunes like even Johnny Lee's new one called Hey Bartender, the old uh, Blues Brother thing, which was done. And there's so many other examples of it, the Mickey Gilly things he's been doing from the 50s, the old Fats Domino material, Sam Cooke, whole host of others. I want to work Carnegie Hall with Fats Domino. You know what? Did you ever meet anybody that didn't like to hear Fats Domino sing? No one. I've never met anyone either, you know. What I say, I think it's first cousins, you know. Because I really, I love, I love music, all kinds of music. It's good. Yeah. Well, and we all respect the courage of your convictions of, of doing it your way. Why, why do you think along the way that uh, you chose not to really go along with the, what they call today the program or set apart yourself from what we call conventional life? Is there anything in particular that swayed you in that direction or motivated you to do it? It just didn't work for me. You know, I, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't trying to destroy anybody else's way of life. I just, uh, you know, I felt that this, this what if I fought for anything and any of it, and like against anything, I was for one thing. I think you have a right to try to do it one more time. And you have a right to do it your way. Now, you should try other people's way, you know. And if it don't work, you still have the right to do it your way. I don't think that's unfair. You've done duets with a lot of people throughout your career. I just kind of think of Johnny Cash, and I think of Jesse, your lovely lady, Anita Carter way back when, Hank Jr., and, of course, the most famous duets of all with, with Willie Nelson, some of the most successful uh, for both you and Willie as a duet team. What's the magic with you and, and Willie? Why does it work so well? What do you think there is about it? It's like one and one makes three. It's Willie, he's one. Waylon, he's one. And you put them together, Waylon and Willie, or Willie and Waylon, that's makes three. They make one. It's like taking them, taking musical instruments and uh, blending them together. Some of them will work. Mm -hmm. But me and Willie did work. You know, I, there's a definite feeling when we get on stage together. You know, it's like uh, uh, it just starts soaring. You know, because you know I love Willie. Willie's my, like more than a brother, closer than a brother. You know, because we've been through hell together, bearing back, <laughs> and we raised a little of it too. You know. <laughs> But uh, it's just, uh, you know, what you, what you see and what you really think Willie is is exactly what he is. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people, boy, ain't he a nice guy? Yeah, he is. And uh, I'll tell you what to do. If you ever get a chance, go down and listen to him smile sometime. <laughs> that would be something. <laughs> <laughs> we used to say that because Willie can smile bigger than bigger him out, man. I mean, and, and he means it when he does. You know, that's sincere. And you can see the, the, the close personal feeling you have, even when you're on stage doing those duets. There's there's that love affair between you and Willie that that is unsaid, but you can just see in the eyes and the emotions of, of both of you guys when you work together. I'll tell you, I think he's a great artist, great man, and and he's a good, legitimately good person. He cares. And, and he's two dog doggets. He's still not laid back. He's lazy. <laughs> Aren't we all at times? <laughs> yeah, really. I'm going to tell you, I'd go to the wall for him and he wouldn't be too. And i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to still, we're going to work together more. Are you really? We really like to do that. And it's so hard anymore to do it. But we do. Because of the demands on your time and his time, I suppose. Yeah, and we have, you know, like we both have production companies. And and, uh, and we have manager <laughs> and like a book of agents. I told him last time, we tried to book five days, we wound up with one. I said, Hoss, let me tell you what I want to do. See if you agree to this. And he said, what's that? And I said, let's get us two guitars and a hat. 
and go play a show. You know, I said, we can do it. He said, you've got a great idea. And I said, I think so. I said, really, because these people drive me nuts. Waylon, you're a fan of all music, and uh, but really, I guess country has always been your base. And when we think of country, we think of people like Jimmy Rogers and Hank Williams. And I know you feel very close to not only Hank Williams, but Hank Jr. You have a very close association and a great rapport with him. What was it about Hank Williams which really grabs you that, that, that's so meaningful to you on an emotional mm -hmm. level? Hank Jr.? Hank Sr. Hank Sr.? I don't know. I, I guess I... Uh, you know, I could feel, you know, I could feel through his music. and I, I loved his music. And uh, I read everything I could about him, and I now I know firsthand about him. From, I was good friends with Audrey, you know. Audrey and I, you know, like, Audrey could get pretty rough with you every once in a while, but the thing where we got along good is I wasn't afraid of her. You know, like, I'd say, now, girl, I'm bigger than you are. <laughs> and we'd laugh, you know, but uh, Audrey was a great lady. There was a great love affair there between those two people, and it's nobody's business but theirs. It was too too much of love, you know. She stayed with him. He was like Hank was like really rough, you know, but she stayed with him within a year, up to a year, of his, you know, in the time of his death, you know. And like, and when Hank left her and he was going to marry, you know, the girl down in, in uh, New Orleans, Billy Billy Jean, Billy Jean Horton, you know, or, uh, he said to uh, one of the boys, a man, he turned to him and he said, "Audrey, hear about this, and she'll be down here to get me tomorrow morning." He was really bigger than life, though, when you think of not only as a performer and as a lifestyle, but as an artist and all the songs that he wrote. I, do you think there'll any, be anybody ever in the history of country music in the years to come that'll ever match anything near him? Yeah, I do. I think somebody already has. I know you're going to say. Willie. Willie. You know, Willie. Willie's, Willie's written, um, he's the most, uh, you know, like you can write from one end of the spectrum to the other end of it. I can write the most complex thing musically and uh, and uh, words, you know. Like he, I mean, really, he can really a deep thing, and he can turn around and write the simplest thing in the world. But I tell you, because he Willie, he does it through feeling, and I, I think, uh, yeah, you know what? We can uh, we'll always have all the respect in the world and uh, for Hank Williams, senior, and like his son ain't doing too bad either. Hank Junior. That had to be the toughest battle in the world to overcome and live in the shadow of, of the greatness of a legend like his father. i tell you one thing I told Hank one time. I said, you know, I said, you and your mom and your, mom and your daddy, I said, they had you know, problems. You heard all these stories and everything. I said, they ain't none of your business. I said, why don't you just forget that? And I said, what your daddy did was great. And it ain't a sin to admit it, you know. If somebody says something to you, all oh, your daddy said, yeah. My daddy was great, and I had, you know, and I still, and I think about him every day. But, uh, I tell you what, Hank overcame another thing that when he fell off the mountain. Yes. I don't know if I could have done it. He had all of those operations. He was in pain. He sat on the mountain and kept himself awake to keep himself alive. He knew if he went to sleep that he would die. He fell 500 feet down to there. Goes right back up there now. You know, he's crazy. But I mean, I tell you what, there's no, I'm, there's no shadow no more. He's an individual. He's on his own. And I said, this is one thing. People might as well forget it and quit hollering at Hank Sr. Because, you know, Audrey made that mistake, too, with him. Audrey loved Hank Jr. so much. She loved her, and she loved his dad, you know, Hank Sr. And Hank was gone, Sr. And, and all the mistakes that, that Hank Sr. made, she was determined Hank Jr. was not going to make them. And uh, she just had a, you know, I think my bus was the only bus she'd let him ride on, you know, every once in a while. And uh, because, you know, I, uh, and I, it was hard on Hank. Finally, he had to pull away. Well, the people are doing the same thing. They're trying to you know, keep that running his daddy down his throat. Let him love his dad's memory. 
They do the same. This is another man, an individual. And I think the shadow's gone. If they don't know it, he does. <laughs> You've received quite a few awards along the way, Waylon. How do you feel about, really, awards generally? Uh, do they give you a, a sense of satisfaction, or is it it's something that uh, Willie mentioned, the fact he said if awards are given out, he'd like to see everybody win who's nominated? Sure you would. You know, that's the thing. You know, but it, you know they, when, they, when they put you in competition with your friends, you know, like me and Willie are sitting there, and it happened one time. It was like a Grammy Awards. Willie and me were up for the same award. Well, you know what? I don't want to win an award that Willie would like to have, you know, and I don't think he does with me. And like when you, when you win, uh, one of them wins the award, they put the camera on the one that didn't. You know, that's really great. I'll tell you how I feel about awards. But, you know, reward the young ones, the ones that are coming up, the ones that you know, need encouragement. I'm too old now. I'm, you know, I, don't need, I don't care about them anymore. I do care about gold and platinum records. People just put their money down on the table and picked up an album for that, and that's legitimate. The awards, these other awards, Grammys, it's all touched by man, and it's really, it's controlled by the industry. It's controlled by the uh, corporation or corporate Big wigs. Writing songs is kind of a catharsis for a lot of people, including you. Instead of going into a shrink, you can share your problems with the entire world, and it's kind of an outlet. Do you go along with that kind of a philosophy? Is that, has that been as far as you're concerned throughout your career? See, I co-write with a shrink. <laughs> really? I never knew that. Well, and that's a revelation. What's his name? He doesn't get credit on most of the labels. Well, it's also a lie. I just thought I'd throw that in there. I just made it up. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, you're like, it's a, it is an outlet. And like, when you get to a place where you can't finish it, you know, uh, a song, you know, and I mean, you can almost go up the wall you know, thinking about it, trying to finish it, and actually you'll try to force it. And where if you're smart enough, you can, and think a minute, you'll just relax and let it come as, as it's supposed to do. But anyway, they are, a lot of times you try to force songs. You think the last one you wrote, is the last one you'll ever write because you're well, the well's dry now. It's all over for me. But then another one comes along. Yeah, some bad ones come along when you try to force them along. I've seen some, I said, hmm, I wonder where I was at when I wrote that. If you had a single out, probably the most important song you've ever recorded to you personally, what would it be over the years? Important song. Well, I can tell you the one I think is my favorite. And uh, it's uh, Dreaming My Dreams. I think it says some good stuff, you know. Wasn't a hit record for me, but it was a. I, you know, and they told me it was not going to be. Some people that were in control said it won't be either because you know they weren't going to work on it. They didn't want me to release it, and I said I think people should hear it. But it's something everybody can relate to. Yeah. If, uh, well, if you've ever been down, if you've ever been, uh, had, you know, uh, when a guy can come back and say I'm not bitter anymore, everything's okay. You know, I've been through it all, but it's all right. Where would you like to see country music headed in the next year? You've seen so many changes since you've first come into the scene. Maybe down towards Sudan, Texas. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a good location. Go. I think it ought to go where, it, where it, it takes itself, you know, and it will. And putting chains on it and holding it back and being afraid of change has been one of the main problems with country people. I'm as guilty as anybody. You know, once you get something going along, you get com comfortable with it. You're afraid of change, especially... If you don't understand their accent when they come into town and want to change things around. And I'll tell you what, though, I think it has its own range now. It has its own freedom. It's good. I'll tell you what, if you let the music go where it wants to go, and you know, and I, uh, it actually doesn't move as far as that's concerned. 
it's a real common denominator today. It's broken down all down all barriers, whether it's color, whether it's regionalism, whether it's accent. I mean, country music today is universal. Good music today, you know what? Putting labels on it's awful hard. That's, that's the thing you hated. I don't like that, but it's, that's the merchandise and sell, and I'll go along with it because we have to. And I'm not, you know, like uh, what I am, and I'm just me. I tell you, you know, like, um, you know, uh, music is pretty well, it's going to be a very important thing in the world, period. Because it's the only thing to get people under a roof, all races, creeds, and colors, and what have you, for any length of time, and have them get along pretty good. You know, like, religion either can't do it or don't want to do it, and politics won't do it, and don't, and not able to do it either. Because there's always problems when they're together. But music is still the thing that, it's a universal language. It's an escape, and it gives pleasure to anybody's problems. That's it. And that's um, because of, well, I, I won't get into that right now. That's philosophical. That's something about, you know, it's on the same plane and, and the same, uh, you know, like one releases the other. Waylon, one last question. How would you like to be remembered in the history of country music? I like a good old boy. I had a good old time. Doing some good old music. <laughs> Thank you. That's about it. Just, I just, um, I want to try to do as best as I can to get along with people and not intentionally hurt anybody, you know, that I know. And because uh, it's easiest, it's, it's really hard. By the same token, have you felt the love over the years and the affection and the respect that that audience has given you for getting the sales when you go out on stage and you see that reaction of all those people? Do you feel that love? Sure, you know that's that's that feeds uh, that's the biggest pay payday of all, you know. And that's another thing too. Like actors don't have that in movies and in television. You know, they don't have that feedback. They don't know. And the only way, if you see a man that doesn't come on with a prima donna or a woman and uh, demand things, that's the only way they know how big they are. It's what they can demand and how they can be, you know, and uh, the things that they can make people do because they're so and so, you know. Waylon, I'll never mention Jimmy Rogers again to you. <laughs> or dying in the Taft Hotel in the same room you stayed yeah, in in 1966. Put me in, that, put me in that room and tell me Jimmy Rogers died in there, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's always a source of personal pleasure to me and a great, great personal story. But I want to thank you for taking time out today in your busy schedule. I want to let you get some rest and get set for the big show out of the out in Hampton here in uh, outside of Atlanta for the big picnic. And uh, much luck, much health. Good luck to you, Jesse, and everybody in the family. Hey, thank you very much. It's always great to be with you. And I tell you what, let's don't make it so long next time. <laughs> Promise, Waylon. Thank you. Make four appointments with other people to get together. That's right. Thank you, Waylon. You bet. What a treat to hear those stories about Willie Hank Williams and Waylon's take on country music. A great way to begin our trilogy of conversations with Waylon from 1983. More to come next week with another visit with old Waylon on Country Music Conversations. This is Leona, reminding you to stay safe and keep it country. <laughs>